mercies are new every day new every morning new every morning your mercies are new Oh, oh, oh. 
Praise the Lord. Oh, my goodness. Okay, just shug somebody next to you and say, wake up. Come on. It's time to worship. Sounds like everybody's a little slow this morning, but this is the day that the Lord hath made, and I will rejoice and be glad in it. Anybody say amen. 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 Come on, we serve a good, good God, and he's got something special for each and every one of us today. And I don't know about you, but I'm going to press towards that, and I'm going to receive what he's got for me today. I'm not leaving here. I've already determined in myself, I will not leave here, Lord, until I receive what you have for me. I want you to be in total agreement because I want you to get your blessing just as much as I want mine. So let's let go and let God today. What do you say? Let's let him rule. Let we just let him lead. Let him guide. Let him do his thing. He does it so well. Amen. Let's worship. It's an everlasting love. Your mercy is as new as every rising of the sun. And your loving kindness, your loving kindness is better than life. Your grace is all sufficient. It's an all sufficient grace. Your power and your glory are forever on display. And your loving kindness, your loving kindness is better than mine. Your loving kindness 
better than life. So we lift up our hands and we lift up our voices to testify that you are good, you are better than life. Though life can be uncertain at times, but your love it never fails. That's why we sing. That's why we sing. spark and and all we need is for one person to just be on fire we used to when we had a baseball team that we played with a long long time ago we had this one guy that we always had as our leadoff and your leadoff guy is somebody that you always want to be he he always gets on the base you can rely on him and they we called him our spark plug because he always got things started and so sometimes we just need somebody to be that spark plug for us in a service. Like Holly last week was just like on it, right? And so everybody was, it makes you excited when somebody else is just on fire for God and can share something that ignites something in you. And I'm just telling you, when we get together corporately as a body, that's what we're supposed to be doing for each other. Whatever's happened for you during that week, you're excited to tell what God's doing in your life. And it ignites the spark in somebody else. And they're like, oh, you know what? I forgot I had this thing happen to me. Or even if it's something as simple of, as I had a good week. It was a decent week. I woke up every day. 
whatever it is, God has done something good in your life. And if you can just find that little spark or find somebody to ignite that in you, that's all it takes to just experience that moment with people and with God. Worship with us today.
And I love, I've always loved that imagery of the Spirit of God um, brooding over the face of the waters and moving over it. He talks about in Genesis. Because to me, there's something about it that's so, it's like such a closeness. I picture just the Spirit, His Spirit descending kind of like a, um, like a cloud or even like a, like, even like a bird or something flying just above the waters. And as he's coming over there, he's just dropping things into the water. Water is representing your spirit. And he's just coming over and he's just whispering things here and he's whispering things there. And I've always loved that picture of Christ because there's something so, um, it feels so safe. And it feels so all-encompassing as he's moving over the spirit that's in you as his voice is speaking into what's in you and he is um, telling you telling you things and telling you um, releasing um, provision and vision and and hope and and strength and joy and healing and restoration and whatever you need and I love that his spirit is here and I feel like he's doing that now and he's moving over some waters in this place 
He's moving over the waters that are going to be open to him and that are going to um, invite that word or invite that, um, invite the, um, that, uh, invite him to drop right in to their waters that thing that they are needing, that things that they're lacking or that where they feel they're lacking and that he is doing that in this place this morning because he is a faithful God. Hallelujah.
and I will rest in your promises. My confidence today, God, is in your faithfulness, and I will rest in your promises. My confidence oh, is in your faithfulness, and I I'm living proof of what the mercy of God can do. Because yeah. if you knew me then, you believe me now, he turned my whole world upside down. And he took the old and he made just what the mercy of God can do. So I'm alive to tell the story how I've overcome. 
It's the goodness and mercy and the power of the blood. And I'm so glad that my freedom isn't based on what I've done. It's just the goodness and mercy and the power of the blood. Power of the blood. The things I've done, the things I've said, the choices made that I regret. Oh, I would still be lost. Oh, but for the mercy of God. So I'm alive to tell the story. I've overcome It's the goodness and the mercy And the power of your blood And I'm so glad that my freedom Wasn't based on anything I've done But the goodness and mercy And the power of the blood It's the goodness and the mercy in the power of blood Oh, there's power in the blood Ooh, There's power in the blood He saved a person like me Thank you for your mercy, God Oh, there's healing power, healing oh, power in the blood meant for me that my Savior carried. Now I've been made free by the mercy of God. It was the grave meant for me where my sin lay buried. Now I stand redeemed by the mercy of God. It was the cross for me where my Savior carried now I've been made by the mercy and mercy and was the grave meant for me where my sin lay buried now I've been by the mercy of and I'm alive to tell the story The goodness and mercy and the power of the blood. And I'm so glad that my freedom wasn't based on what I've done. But the goodness and mercy and the power of the blood. It's the goodness and mercy and the power of the blood. Goodness and mercy 
and the power of the blood. Oh, had it not been. a long time. You should know it. Had it not been for the old rugged cross, and had it not been for a man called Jesus, then forever my soul would be lost had it not been for a place called Mount Calvary had it not been for the
Come on, how many believe that there's power in the power in the blood? <laughs> Where would I be if not for grace? Come on, somebody. Can anybody testify? Had it not been for Jesus, had it not been for the Lamb slain from the foundations of the world, had it not been for the Son of God, had it not been for a Father that so loved the world that He gave, who knows where we could be. And yet He chose in His sovereignty that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Is anybody else in this place grateful and thankful to the King of kings and to the Lord of lords for what He's done? Come on, somebody, lift up a high praise in this place. It's not about how many of us there are, but how big of a sound can we make? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Who knows where I would be but for your grace. We thank you. We don't take for granted what you did. We don't take for granted who you are. We thank you. We know that without you, we're nothing. We know that with the blood, we are healed and we are restored and we are made new. We thank you that you were the propitiation. We thank you that you are in Christ reconciling the world unto yourself. We thank you, Lord. You didn't need to be reconciled to us, but we certainly needed to be reconciled to you. And thank you that while we were yet in our sins, you died for us. Paul says, while we were yet in our sins and ungodly, you died for us. I thank you that you died for us. You had a son, but you wanted a family, so you sowed the son so you could reap a family. Thank you that we're a part of that family this morning. Anybody else glad to be a part of his family? And because you're part of his family... There are certain things that you can expect to have as a result of being a part of his family. Thank you, Barbie. What are those things? Health and a lot, divine life. How many people believe in divine life? Both of you. Well, both of you can have it. Anybody else believe in it? Anybody believe in divine life? Anybody believe that what God says he means, he means what he says? How many people believe that God still moves and God still speaks and God still walks and God still talks and God still touches and God still moves? Does anybody in this place besides me believe that he's still God? Come what may, Jesus is Lord. Come what may, his father's not been knocked off the throne. Come what may, the spirit of God is still in the earth moving and waiting to quicken a family. Amen. God's not bound by circumstances. In fact, has it ever dawned on you that it's never dawned on God? God has never woke up and said, hmm, that's interesting. He always knew before the foundations of the world. He set all this in motion. He spoke things into, into motion. In fact, the Bible says he not only sees, but he declares the end from the beginning. Why? Because the end and the beginning are all inside of him. That's why he could say, I am the Alpha and I am the Omega. I am the beginning. Good God. If it ain't good, then it ain't been, then it ain't over yet because he's not just the beginning, he's the end, which means we're going to find ourselves in him in the culmination of all things. Boy, it sure has been hard. I believe you, and I know that it's been hard, but listen to the voice calling from the garden saying, come back to commune with me. It ain't over yet. It's not. I'm just here to ask you, if God be for you, who is it that can be against you? I'm here to ask you, greater is he that is in me than he that's in Am I the only one this morning that Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Or better said, greater is he that's in me than him that's trying to get in me. Greater is he. Greater. How good is he? He's greater. 
How big can you think he's greater? He not only will do, but he is exceedingly, abundantly above all that you could ask or even think. He exceeds even your imagination. You can't possibly conceive or perceive how great and wonderful not just he is, but because he responds to us out of his nature, it's what he wants to do for you. Exceedingly, he wants to good for you. He wants to prosper you. He wants you to live in health. Jesus said the thief is the one that comes to steal and to kill and destroy, but I am come. I have come. I am manifested. I'm here on earth that you might have life and that you might, Zoe life, and that you might have it more abundantly. That you might have the spirit of God, the ruach, the whoosh of God blown back into your nostrils and breathe within you the very presence, the very essence of the one who with his hand flung the stars into space. I thank you for that. You, you can thank him or not thank him. You can sit and be quiet. You can stand and shout, but ask for me in my house. We're going to say thank you, Jesus, for how far you've brought us. Thank you that you're not done, and it ain't over until, until it's good. Well, you ain't nothing but a bunch of crazy fanatics. My dad used to say, you'll be a fool for somebody. I'll be Christ's fool. Have no problem being fool for Christ. Well, this is just foolish. Mm -hmm. We ain't going to talk about what you was doing a couple nights ago. That was foolish. It's supposed to be a joke. It went over like a lead balloon. You can be seated. Turn this mic up so I can save my throat. <clears throat> what little bit of I got to go to West Virginia and do a funeral in a couple hours. Pray for the Barnett family. J.R. Barnett, who sits right back there. I married him and his wife, Crystal, last April in Baptist Hospital. And God healed him of cancer. He, this past week, he rang the bell. God healed him of cancer this past week. He got an infection. And uh, actually, last week, because they texted me or messaged me when I was in Istanbul and said, would you please pray? Going to the hospital, got some blood issues going on. I said, yeah. And Tuesday, <clears throat> Tuesday night about 12 a.m., 12.01, something like that, Lee texted me and said, Josh, they're taking back to ER. Pray, brother. I'm praying. The next morning, Crystal called me and said, can you get to the hospital? Uh, they calling in the family, and I got there. And uh, it's, it's funny. I wanna, I'll make this point. We got there, and the family's there. And it was, it, he's, the man's 42. You're not supposed to bury your children. You're not supposed to bury your children. You're not supposed to die at 42. That is not what God intended for. In fact, death is in no way what he intended. Well, that's a point. A man wants to die. If you knew your Bible, you died when Christ died, and you rose when Christ rose. So don't go there with me. Uh, but at any rate... Uh, his, his sister was there, and his mother was there, his, pre his mother that I've known my whole life. I graduated with his sister from high school just a couple years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They didn't have high school back then, did they? <laughs> Will it really be 50 years next year? That's right. Good Lord, have mercy. That's right. Anyways, uh, his mama was sitting there crying, and his sister, she said, uh, I don't know what God's will is. And his sister said, his God is, God's will is to heal him and, and restore him. And I said, she said, what do you think, preacher? And I said, that's exactly what God's will is. It's always for that. And I said, but God doesn't see the way we see. She said, what do you mean? I said, whether he stays on this realm or does it on the other realm, God's healed him. We see death is just a marker in time for us. We see death as separation, but death doesn't separate anybody from God. In fact, the scripture says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And I said, so really, the, the whole thing is God's healing him one way or the other. And I said, but what does Lee want? 
is what, here's where the miraculous happens. You may not know this, and you may not like it, but that's okay. You've been wrong before. It is when the will of man agrees with the will of God that caused the miraculous to happen. How many times did Jesus heal somebody and say something so peculiar? Go in peace. Thy faith has made you whole. I said it with your King James so you would believe it's actually Bible. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Again and again and again. Because it, when the one with the issue of blood came to Jesus, Jesus didn't touch her. She touched him. He did not touch her. She was not in his GPS. He wasn't on his way to her house. In fact, he was on his way to Jairus' house because Jairus' 12-year-old daughter was sick. Isn't it interesting that she was 12 years old, sick and dying, and the woman with the issue of blood had an issue of blood for 12 years, sick and dying. Uh, Jesus was on his way to Jairus' house because when he steps out of the boat, Jairus falls down at Jesus. Can I just talk to him? I know it's rambling. Can I ramble for a minute? It's rambling, but it's anointed rambling. And Jesus gets out of the boat and Jairus falls at his feet and worships. You've heard me say this before. He did things in right order. We don't do that. We come and beg God for everything that we want. And if we get it, then we'll give him a praise. But Jairus understood order. I know who you are. So before he asked Jesus a single thing, he falls at his feet and worships. He says, he, he, the Bible says he fell at his feet and worshiped. And then he said, would to God a church in 2022 would understand if we'll just begin to lift him up, begin to praise him, begin to make him worthy, and begin to give him honor and glory, then all the stuff that you're looking for, it'll be added. In fact, Jesus said it this way, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, which is the royalty. It's the basilea in Greek, the royalty, the rule, the realm, and the reign. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all the things will be added. But we look for the things to be added, and if you add them to me, then I'll try to live good. We got it backwards. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And so Jairus does. He falls at Jesus' feet. And he says, would you come? My, my daughter lay. He, she's at home and she lay a dying. She's dying. She's at the point of death. And Jesus simply says, of course, take me to her. Because Jesus is always available to heal whatever it is that ails you. Not sometimes. Not sometimes. He doesn't pick his favorites and heal those. And well, well the heck with the rest of them. I don't care if they're sick. I'm going to save a couple, I'm going to heal a couple, I'm going to free a couple, and the rest of them are bound for hell. No, that's trash. That's, that's trash theology. That's in, in no way, you cannot find it ever in the person or the character or nature of Jesus. And if you can't find it in the person, character, or nature of Jesus, you better not be saying it about the Father, because Jesus is perfect theology. Moving forward, Jesus is on his way to Jairus' house, and the, and the, and the crowds begin to murmur. He's going, he's going to heal this boy. Let's go, let's go, you want to see it? I've been telling you about him for weeks. He actually just shows up, heals people. I was there when Barnabas was on the side of the road. Blind Barnabas was on the side of the road and cried out and said, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy. And Jesus healed us. I watched it. Let's go see. And so be, more and more began till thousands were about him. Not on his way to the woman with the issue of blood's house. She was not in his GPS. And the Bible says that she said within herself, I'm going to have to get to Jesus i got an issue of blood, and because I've got an issue of blood, I'm a curse to society. I've lost my family. They won't talk to me. This is, this is Hebraic culture. My husband has put me away. I've lost my husband. I've lost my family. The Bible says she spent everything that she owned, and if you study that, she had a lot of money. She spent everything that she owned trying to meet, be made well of physicians. How many people do you know that will go to one conference and another conference hoping that that physician can lay the oil on them and heal them, and maybe if this one can't do it, maybe Oral Roberts can do it, and if he can't do it, maybe Bishop Jason can do it, and one after another after another. And none of them can make her whole. 
Because the issue was not the magical preacher that could put the oil on her head. The issue was Jesus because the Bible says he is the issue that came out of the heart of the Father. And when she finally made up her mind, she said, I'm going to Jesus. I'm not waiting for him to come to my house. And she began to, to crawl and beg. She wasn't even supposed to be in society. If they had seen her, she could have been locked up. She could have been taken outside the city gates and stoned to death just for showing her face. But she's already desperate, and there's something about being somewhere in the point of desperation and no return that you say, I don't care. Kill me if you got to kill me. Talk about me if you got to talk about me. Make jokes about me if you want to make jokes about me. Lie about me. Spread rumors about me. Kick me while I'm crying. doesn't matter to me. The bottom line is everything that I've got is going to get me to Jesus. And finally, when she gets up, just collapses at the hem of his robe. It probably took every bit of strength that that hemorrhaging woman had just to get to the hem of his garment. She falls down and grabs it in the Bible says, and instantly, Jesus didn't touch her. He didn't speak to her, didn't look at her. Instantly, her issue of blood stanched, is what the kingdom of James, it stopped instantly. Why? Because it was the faith of a human reaching up to touch the faith and the will of God. And when the will of man agrees with the will of God, there is nothing that can be impossible. And Jesus said, who touched me? And Peter said, man, Jesus, you crazy. There are 578,000 people here. Who touched you? And Jesus said, no, 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 no. Someone touched me. Someone reached inside. Someone saw something about me. They know that I walk with virtue, and they know that I can. You hear me pray when I pray for the sick. Without fail, you'll hear me say, let the healing virtue of the resurrected Christ touch every molecule of the body. Why? Jesus said, because I perceive that virtue has gone out of me. It's amazing to me that word virtue. The last time I remember in the Bible reading about the word virtue, you got to go all the way back to the old book. What chapter? What book? Proverbs. What chapter? 31. Who can find a virtuous woman? Which is to say, Jesus took a woman that was cursed, that had lost husband, that had lost family, that had lost money, and with one touch, not his touch to her, her touch to him, made this bleeding, dying woman a virtuous Proverbs 31 woman. But anyways, that's your free part. And I said, so the will of God is always to heal. And I walked over and I touched Lee and grabbed his hand and put my head on his head. I said, Lee, what do you want? I watched a man die and lay on a softball field for 41 or 43 minutes and God bring him back to life. He died again. God brought him back to life again and lived 15 more years. I've watched God open eyes blinded like that. I've watched, put my pinkies in deaf ears, completely deaf ears, and watched God. My son has it on iPad video, watched a little kid. God heal his dad. We've seen it. You've come way too late to tell me God don't move. Because <laughs> I'm trying to be nice. A man with experience is never at the mercy of a man with an argument. Make all the arguments you want. A man with experience is never at the mercy of a man with an argument. And I've seen it too many times. And I was just stroking his forehead and just said, my, I've joined my faith to yours. If you want to be here, you can come up out of this bed. And his mama spoke up and said, Josh, he, he wants to go home. He's tired. Let him go home. And I said, well, so be it. Walked out, drove home 30 minutes later. Lee got his angel's wings. Which means God did what God planned to do. God healed him. He healed him on the other side. Well, that don't sound like healing. That sounds like death. That's because you don't understand death. Who holds the keys of death, by the way? Might want to look that one up. Jesus in Revelation, behold, I am he that was dead and am alive. And behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and of hell. If Jesus holds those keys, who in the world do you think is going to pry them out of his hands? 
I know that's going to mess with your theology some because you think the devil kills people. The devil can't kill anymore. Jesus holds those. He tries to kill. The only way he can kill anybody is to convince you in your mind to surrender to whatever he tells you because God gives you authority in this, in this realm. And that's why if you, if you will to be healed, it's always God's will. When your will touches his, miraculous things happen. It's always, always God's will. The Bible says Jesus went about doing good and healing all, not some, not a select few, all that were oppressed of the devil. And guess what? He hasn't changed. It's still his will to go about and heal all that are oppressed of the devil. And what he did was, he said, these works and greater shall, how can you possibly do greater works than Jesus? Well, because the whole, the whole Godhead dwelt in Jesus bodily. People think that Jesus is a part of the Godhead. The Bible says the Godhead dwelt in him bodily. But I'll let you figure that out for yourself. But he wanted a family. And so the same spirit that was just in the one individual has now been shed abroad, according to Acts chapter 2, into the entire church. So Jesus doesn't have to go there, 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 there. He's got sons and daughters. He's got brothers and sisters. He's got other anointed family to do exactly what you're called to do. Or we can just play church and pay our fire insurance, be a part of the club, be part of the cliques, be a part of the programs. I'll never be a part of a church that would trade in power for program. God bless. Not try, not, and not trying to disparage other churches. Thank God that there are churches. It could be a whole lot worse. Be a whole lot worse things out there than churches. God bless all of them. Bring them into higher truth. Bring them into the knowledge of who you actually are. Help them to stop preaching hellfire and brimstone nonsense until they understand what hell actually is. And it was thrown into the lake of fire. And let them preach God good and God mercy and God kind. You tell them you don't believe in the devil? No. I don't. You don't believe in the devil? No. Oh, I know he's real. I believe in God. Because what you believe in, you give authority to over your life. I knew I'd get you there. I want to mess with you a little bit. Believe in the devil. Oh, my God, what's he talking about? Uh, I know him, he knows me, and we both know God. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for giving me that few minutes. I found out yesterday I'm doing a funeral in West Virginia, two and a half hours away at 2 o'clock. Who was it? Was it Stephen in the New Testament that, or Philip that was just translated? Like, God, can we get this going again? Did anybody got a flux capacitor outside I can borrow? <laughs> All the kids are like, man, what the heck's a flux capacitor? <laughs> uh, amen. Amen. <laughs> he does. He does. All right. All right. Who's he? <laughs> I was going to say it, but I didn't. I was going to say it, but I didn't. Miss Judy, you're so funny. Father, thank you this morning for your presence. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for the opportunity to give into this work. Lord, what we give, we do not see as a debt that we have to pay. We're not afraid of a curse. We don't give because we're afraid you're going to beat us up if we don't, or you're going to curse us and dry up the fields if we don't. We give because we believe in the expansion of your kingdom. We believe in the work of the ministry that you've called us to here in Statesville and around the world. So I pray now that as we give, Lord, that you would take it, that it would be, uh, that would be good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, that it would be multiplied back into their lives in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Come on and bring your tithing offering to the front. Um, if you want to give online, you can text the amount you would like to give to the number 84321. It's pretty simple. You can go to tvwc.churchcenter.com slash giving or www.truevinestatesfield.org. 
on that website, you'll find a, a link of uh, events, which, by the way, two weeks from today, two weeks from this weekend, will be our annual conference, September 30th, October 1st, October 2nd. Or, is that right? Yeah. 7 o'clock Friday, 7 o'clock Saturday, and 10.30 on Sunday morning. I hope you can make plans to be here. Um, the middle school youth and high school youth, we're doing a lock-in here. Uh, for the church, we are still seeking about 15 more chaperones uh, because the kids are crazy. It's a joke. Not actually 15 chaperones. We have some, but if you, if you, if, if we, we could probably send a couple of more. So if you'd like to come and volunteer, um, come and see me. And then after you see me, I'm going to send you over to Scott and Micah. And uh, we'll have some breakfast for you on Saturday. And we'll have some breakfast for you on Sunday. And uh, we're going to do refreshments after each service each night. Um, back here, we'll set up our tents and lights like we normally do. So make plans to be with us. If you haven't made plans, you have other plans, cancel those and come be with us. It'll be better for you to be here. I can't believe you said that. I can't believe you made plans when our national conference has been on the calendar for eight months. Plan to come and be with us. It will be life-changing. Who's speaking, Holy Spirit? I talked to him about it and said, would you come speak? He said, of course I will come speak. He's got us on his schedule. I had a bunch of people say, what preachers you got coming? I said, the Holy Spirit. Well, what's he look like? Come and find out. How does he sound? I can promise you the sound's in the building. Come and find out. Come and find out. There will be ministers in the house that we know. I know Pastor Ronnie Robbins is coming. I've talked to um, a bunch of them. There will be people in from Florida and West Virginia and Tennessee and all over the place. What matters to me is that you're here. I'd love to see you here because I believe it will be life-changing. It will be fun. It will be good, but I believe it will be life-changing. For somebody, it's going to be a marker in time. They'll look back and say, that weekend is the weekend that everything changed. Is that what you heard? Amen. Well, uh, my agreement's there. Children's Church and Nursery, you guys can head on back to the back, right? Children's Church and Nursery. Children's Church and Nursery. I didn't get a cupcake last week or the week before. Did we save any? But I did get a cheesecake. Let me tell you something. Oh, Phil, stand up, Phil. Phil made a couple of cheesecakes that he sells. If you haven't had one, you need to get one. Because I ate one, and immediately I was translated into the third room. I mean, I felt like I was in the Holy of Holies. And the only person I would have shared with in that moment is Jesus himself. And he didn't ask for a slice, and I didn't offer it. Cheesecake was good. He said he makes a, a, a pumpkin spice cake, too. So um, I don't know. I, I don't have any interest in being 600 pounds, but I feel like it would be easy if I talked to you every Sunday about a cake. <clears throat> I do want to talk to you just for a few minutes this morning. Um, and I really just do want to talk uh, more than I want to preach. Um, because uh, part of... Part of our responsibility as ministers of the new covenant is to create, or it's really more to invite, but also to create kingdom culture. And so in the church, um, for instance, I did a couple years ago, and I probably should have went longer on it, but I did a little series on the culture of honor, creating a culture of honor where um, you can, you can, and this, this kind of goes along with it, where you can honor people where they are, call them up and challenge them to a higher place, but honor them as, as unique individuals in the kingdom of God that are no less loved than you are. And that's something that, uh, that especially in charismatic and Pentecostal-type churches, uh, kingdom churches, it's easy to become, have an elitist mindset. Well, we know everything. They don't know nothing, and so we're the real chosen ones and all that, that kind of nonsense, when the reality is uh, we're all called into his kingdom. I mean, last time I checked, father sent his son out in the, in the streets and said, just go, just go invite them all to come. Invite, invite them all to come. Poor, rich, black, white, yellow, red. All, go invite, just find them and invite them and tell them, I've got, a, I've got dinner prepared. There's enough for everybody coming to the kingdom and eat. 
Remember? Because the ones that were invited said, nah, we got other things to do. But I want to talk this morning, at least for a few minutes, about grace and truth. Say with me, grace and truth. If you ever read the chapter, and I know you've heard it from me, I always I like to quote it. It's probably when people ask me where to start when it comes to understanding the life of Jesus, understanding um, uh, what the embodiment of Father looked like, who he actually was, um, for multiple reasons. For one reason, I sent him to John. And, the, and one of the reasons is every time that you see John pictured in the New Testament with Jesus, he's always got his chest on, his head on Jesus' chest. Time and time again. In fact, he refers to himself. I love this. You know, when, when he refers to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. He, that, that, that means that's the way he identified himself. I'm the one that Jesus loves. Isn't that beautiful? I'm the, we almost sang that song this morning. I felt at the end to do mercy, but um, I'm, the, I'm the one that he loves. You know, I'm not just John, which John is beloved. I'm not just John. Uh, I'm the one that he loves. I'm the, I'm, the, I'm the beloved one. And so you read in, in 1 John chapter 1, in the beginning was the word. The Logos, the Logos is the full expression, the mind, the logic. It's where we get our word logic. The, the mind, the emotions, the will. In, in him, uh, in the beginning was the word, the Logos, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And I told you before that Genesis 1 and John 1 will stack on top of each other. In Genesis 1, we, hear, we see what happened. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In John 1, we see how it happened. In the, beginning, um, the word, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Let us make man our image. And the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Now, just to, just to, I, I, I preached this a few weeks back. Now, I want to clarify a few things. I do not think that Jesus was created. Jesus was always with the Father. Jesus and the Father, Holy Spirit, He is one. He is one. And so what I said was, and, the, and God said, let there be light. And John chapter 1 says, He is that light. And so what God did was, the Father sent His Son, before He sent Him in Mary's womb, He put Him in the garden as light in Genesis chapter 1. That's not where I want to go, but if we keep on reading down. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. And that light shined in darkness, and the darkness could not overcome, and the darkness could not uh, comprehend it. And you keep reading down, and the Bible says, and we're going to read it in a minute, that, that the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus. That word but there, that's a, that, that is an interjection. That is a, now that is, we're going to put these two things in comparison or contrast each other. One comes through Moses, but the opposite or the, the, the flip side of that coin is this came through Jesus. What came through Moses? The law. The law came through Moses. Why did the law come through Moses? Well, you've got to think the children of Israel had been slaves for between 413 and 425 years to, Egyptian, to the Egyptians. And so they, they knew the Egyptian gods. They knew the Egyptian culture. They were, they were immersed in it. And so just to kind of teach them how, how to respond to God and how to relate to God, they had, there had to be a set of commands, a set of laws that says this is the way you're to be governed. We're not worshiping 550 gods. We're not going to burn our, our jewelry and make a golden calf and worship, which they did. That's what they had learned. But they needed to. But Paul in the New Testament is very clear. He said that the strength of sin is the law. If there's no law, think about this. If there's no law, you can't transgress. Are you tracking with me? Okay. I know it's boring. I know. We'll get there in a minute. Maybe I'll, I'll scream at you just in a minute just to wake you up. He says the strength of sin is the law. So when the law is fulfilled or, the, or filled full, the law is removed, then you can't transgress a law that's not removed. So the law came through Moses, the do's and don'ts, the these, the thou's, the verily's. All that stuff comes through Moses. But what came through Jesus was grace and truth. Grace, uh, cherish, cherish is the Greek word, grace. And it simply means you know, unmerited, free favor. 
unearned favor. You didn't do anything to earn it. You can't do anything to lose it. Just like your salvation. You think that your magical prayer got you saved. No, the blood of the slain lamb got you saved. Isn't it amazing? I just would like to pose this question for people that always challenge me when I say things like that. It really messes with the theology. Isn't it amazing to me that most of the church, especially the Western church, I'm not talking about some of the Eastern Orthodox, but especially the Western church, uh, we, we, ex- we don't know that we do it, but subconsciously we, we exalt Adam above Christ. Because we will preach that everybody is born in sin and born wretched and born naked and born all the stuff because of what Adam did. But very, 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 very few will say, but the last Adam was greater than the first Adam. And if the last Adam's work was just as powerful or not more efficacious than the first Adam's, then how could we not all be born into the kingdom? And maybe real evangelism is not so much getting people wanting to the kingdom. I believe that's valuable. But helping them open their eyes so they can see the kingdom that they're a part of. Chew on it a while. If you, just, if you just think about it, we literally exalt Adam and the work of Adam above the work of Christ. It is ludicrous. I can't believe in 2022 we still have to talk about this. Don't worry. Don't, don't, don't take off your seatbelts yet. This ain't what I'm going to talk about today. It's going to be real easy, not very challenging. Because so, I, I know a lot of you are like, man, I, first of all, you don't believe in the devil. Well, I didn't. <laughs> I clarified what I meant by that. And now he's saying, like, you know, Jesus can save everybody. Well, that's what he hopes for. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, simply whosoever. If all don't mean all, then whosoever can't mean whosoever. But uh, the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus. So I'm going to read a story to you real quick, and then uh, we'll talk a little bit about grace and truth. And I'm going to let you out a little bit early today. So I've got it's 1046. I'll have you out by three. It's five o'clock somewhere. On December 24th, 1971, Julianne Kepke had just graduated high school in Lima, Peru. We've been to Lima, Peru. She was excited not only for graduating, I'm sorry, on December 23rd she graduated, but because she and her mother the next day were going to take a journey to her father at a research station in the Amazon rainforest. However, because it was the holiday season, almost all the flights to, uh, I think it's called uh, Pacayapa, Peru, they were booked. So reluctantly, they decided to fly with Air Lanza, which already had two crashes on their record. But because the duration of flight was only an hour or so, they booked the final two seats on flight 508, excited to see her husband and and, and the daughter's father for the holiday season. At first, the flight was smooth, But then the clouds began to gather and get darker and darker. They had already endured a seven-hour wait in the airport as a storm had passed earlier in the day. And because the clouds got darker and darker, Julianne began to become nervous just as they passed the Andes Mountains at 21,000 square feet. And the turbulence began to throw the small jet uh, up and down. Moments later, a bolt of lightning hit the plane engine caught it on fire, and then moments later, a portion of one of the wings broke off in the storm. The cabin began to tear apart as luggage fell from the overhead bins and compartments. And strapped in, young Julianne began a 10,000-foot free fall over the jungle, the canopy of the jungle that was spinning towards her. This is a true story. You can look this up. 
She stated at one point she remembered the forest and thought it looked like just a broad cauliflower. Fading out of consciousness, in and out of consciousness, she crashed into the foliage below and miraculously she survived. Over the next 24 hours, she was in and out of consciousness again and again. And when she finally was able to maintain consciousness, she cried out for her mom and began to cry out for her mom and look for her mom. It was to no avail. She never found her mom. She realized that she was all alone and would have to seek help all by her 17-year-old self. With a broken collarbone and lesions and cuts on her hands and on her legs, alone in the jungle, she realizes if I don't find help soon, this will be my end as well. After some time, she heard the humming of another aircraft above, and she looked up and saw a beautiful rescue plane looking for her. She began to scream to it and yell out to it, but it didn't see her because of the, the thick, dense forest that was the Amazon jungle. The one thing that she did find was a bag of candy that was the only thing that kept her sustained for 10 days. Desperate to find help, to find help, she remembered something that her father had taught her as he was an Amazon, had worked in the Amazon, was a scientist. He had studied the Peruvian rainforest for years. And he said this, if you ever get lost, remember these two things. Work your way downhill, because if you get downhill, you'll find water. And secondly, where you find water, keep walking, because you will find people. Those true truths would prove to be lifesavers to young Julianne. After many days, after near starvation, utter desperation, broken collarbone, lacerations across her body, she found herself back to civilization. In the face of death, two guiding principles saved her life. Now, I think it would be safe to say, that's a simple story. I think it would be safe to say that over the past two to two and a half years, Everybody in the, on the globe, everybody in the earth has had our lives one way or another turned upside down. I went back and looked at, at photos. Anybody have Google Photos? They always, they'll, they'll notify you on your phone, hey, we've got a memory we made for you. And they'll make memories like three or four years ago, except three years ago I looked like I was ten years younger. It's crazy, right? I'm like, dang, man, I look good. And I look in the mirror like, man, this year has been real rough on me. And I look back at the phone like, dang. I look back at the mirror like, dang. I mean, honestly, you can go back and look at 19, uh, 2019, 2018, 2019, and for the most part, I had a, a gray speckle here or there. Fast forward to 2000, 2022, and, man, I almost have as much gray as Paul. It's been hard on all of us. I'm joking a little bit, but it's, it's been, it really has been hard. It's taken its toll. None of us knew what was happening maybe in the very beginning unless the Spirit told you. And then we all, I think, finally realized, man, this is, you know, this, this thing is awful. But what's worse about it is the pandemic ain't about COVID. The pandemic's about fear, and they're peddling it left and right. Fear and division, fear and division, fear and division. It was bad enough that, you know, people were getting sick, and that was awful, and that did happen. It was worse that, that you couldn't believe anything that was being said, and it was even worse that the, everything that, that could be done was, done was being done to divide us from each other. It was a divide and conquer strategy, and it still is going on. They're still trying to divide us. It's awful. 
It's awful, and it, and it has been awful. And it's been tough as a pastor, and, and I don't even really like calling myself. I never wanted to be a pastor, not because I don't appreciate. My father was one for almost 40 years. I love pastors. I think they're wonderful people. They're shepherds. They're called to a very specific ministry. And because I knew what the calling was, I had zero interest in it. Man, let me sing, let me evangelize, but I am not about to mess with a bunch of stinking sheep. It sounds mean, but walk in my shoes. I've been doing this 10 years full-time now. Just over 10 years, two weeks ago would have been 10 years for me. September 2nd was my impromptu, essentially, first Sunday as lead pastor. And then, and then, and then officially, although not in many people's minds, but thank God they left, um, officially... God bless them and God love them where they are, but they need to be where they are. I asked, he told me, he, I, you, my, the week my dad died, he told me, he talked to me, he said, I'll prune the vine. I'm going to prune the vine, but when it comes back, the fruit will remain. It'll be healthier than it's ever been. And if you don't think that's the case, you ain't been with us long enough. This is the healthiest we've ever been in every realm. God bless them where they are and keep them where they are. I want you to look real deep in my eyes and ask me, am I nervous or care at all about saying that? You have in-laws, you have outlaws. You have joints that are joined together, and then there's sometimes you got a joint that's on the opposite side of the body, and they're still a part of the body, but God keep them on the opposite side. Man, it got real tight right then. <laughs> Sidney Smith used to say it's tight, but it's right. Actually, he would say it's tight, but it's right. But these last two years, when you have people that, are, that are, for instance, at the hospital say, can you pray and can you get this guy that's got blood down his side? Can you get him up off that hospital bed for me? Or, hey, Pastor Josh, could you uh, maybe pray for me and my wife because they don't look good? Or, hey, Pastor Josh, I just was just diagnosed with cancer. Could you pray and agree with me? And this is not a complaint. I, I'm just uh, two years. Hey, Pastor Josh, I don't think I, don't think I should be coming there anymore because I'm not really sure that you take COVID as seriously as everybody else. Or, Pastor Josh, how did you vote? Because if you didn't vote the way I wanted you to vote, I'm not really sure that you can represent my best interest, so I can't come back. Hmm. Who said that? Say it out loud. Witchcraft, it's a sin of manipulation. And you say, look, you know, I pray to the Holy Spirit. The first thing I'll tell anybody is, look, I'm still learning and I make mistakes. If you sit and talk with me at any time, I'll say, look, I'm still learning. I'm only four, I'm, I'm, you probably won't believe this, but I'm in my 40s. I'm 44, and I've, I have more mistakes than I care to admit to, and I'm still learning. When you stop learning, you stop growing. When you stop growing, you've started dying, and I don't want to die. But again and again and again and again, and after two years of that, you know, of knowing this division has not, or the confusion has not found itself in God because he's not the author of confusion. And watching people just divide and split and get hurt and all the other stuff, man, it takes its toll. And when you're trying to, when you're trying to cultivate a culture of grace and truth, actual truth, you know, that's a tough thing. I want you to, I want you to think about what it's like. And this is not a pity party. Please don't misunderstand me. We've all been through the ringer the last two to two and a half years. I think, I think today will represent the eighth funeral I've done this year. I think that's right. Eight. We're September. Most years I do one or two. And there have been plenty of years I didn't have to do any. I would prefer to never do one. I hate death. 
I despise death. I cannot stand it. I think Jesus hated death. I think he hates it, and I think it's because of what it does to the people that are left here. In fact, the Bible says that the last enemy to be defeated is death. And when it's defeated under his feet, which it is, but it's under all of our feet, then guess what? The glorious consummation of all things. But I can't stand it. When my Aunt Diane was here two months ago, and then my, my father-in-law, basically my father-in-law, Ted, was within a week he was dead. I can't stand death, and I don't like it. And I've got the same questions you have. God, why? You know, I had a little crying girl ask me two days ago, why? Why did God take? And I said, well, you've got to change your perspective. And, it, and, and, I tr- and it's so hard because it can come across as, as, as theological mumbo-jumbo. You know, you're just, you're just throwing something at me to give me an answer. No, I'm not. I sincerely believe that God healed J.R. Barnett three days ago. He just didn't do it the way that we expected him to do it. What happens is, over time, we can have so many of these experiences, and we've had them, we've all had them, of sickness or, or uh, separation or hurt or pain or trauma. And if we're not careful, we'll begin to judge God through the lens of that trauma instead of seeing him as he really is. And, and if we judge God, which really becomes us projecting upon God the way that we feel or what we think that he did or should have done, then, we find, then you're going to find yourself in, in real trouble because then you're, gonna, you're questioning God's integrity. And, and that's why foundational, foundational to, uh, to the, the walk, the real walk in the king and the real walk with Jesus. And I'm not talking about churchianity. I'm not talking about what we call Christianity where we say we're Christians because we can give you a date. God knows you better have a date. You know, when you got saved. I didn't know saved was something you got. I thought saved was something you received because I was saved, I am saved, and I'll be saved. Jesus is not just Savior to give you a moment. He saves you to give you a life. He saved me yesterday. He saved me. He'll save me today. He saves me every single day. It's like the comings of the Lord. There are more than two comings of Jesus. He comes all the time. When you pray by yourself, He comes. When you gather with your family, whether two, uh, two or three would gather together in my name, there I am. He's always coming. He's always saving. He's, and we have, to become, we have to get to a place where foundational to our, to our identity as Christians is that He's always good. He always good. He always wants to heal. He always wants to bring reconciliation. He always wants to bring restoration. Now, how can I line my belief system up or the culture that I've created in my house or my church or my job to line up with that? Because that is kingdom culture. That's what it looks like. And the, and the two, and, and the two, or, or say the, the one compass, but the two measurements by which we can know um, all things is grace and truth. How do we deal with people? Do we deal with, do we deal with them with grace and truth? For instance, you know, if uh, I have, I saw, I can't believe we're talking about this in 2022, and yet I can almost believe it. You know, I had someone recently that talked to me uh, in person, but I had someone online that addressed me because there are children that are dressing up like cats now, and they're pretending to be cats, and they want litter boxes in, in their classrooms. If you deal with that in truth alone, and you try to separate grace from truth, you're going to hurt that child and, get, and create more trauma. That is a trauma response. It's a trauma response. Don't get mad at me. Just listen to me. And I don't want to talk about that for the sake of that. I'm just trying to give you an example because we've probably all seen the nonsense. If you deal with that in truth and say, you're not a cat, get the heck up out of that litter box, you idiot. Apart from grace, then what we do is we deepen and worsen the trauma. But if we can approach it with grace and truth, then what we do is we're going to help you identify who you really are. We, we want you to see that you are so valuable that you don't have to pretend to be something you're not. You don't have to mutilate your body to become something that you can't possibly be to be acceptable. 
It's amazing to me that the, the side, and I'm not on either side, believe me. If you knew me well, you would understand that the side that wants to preach inclusion is going to tell somebody they need to mutilate their body so they can be accepted. It's insanity. But if you walk up to somebody that's going through that, and I have, in that, I, in that office right back there, I've counseled someone going through that very thing. If I say, you're an idiot. You, what are you going to do? This? That, that's truth, but it's not grace. And you can't separate in the kingdom culture grace and truth. So I sat there and said, talk to me. Talk to me. And this is what I heard. And of course, I, I would never reveal names or, comp, or break confidentiality. Without, without fail, this is, and I've done it more than once. I don't like the way that I look. Listen to, the, listen to what is being said. Can you, can you listen between the lines? I don't like the way that I sound. I don't like the way I look. I don't like the way that others look at me. You know what that says to me? That is a crisis of identity. It's not, I really think that I'm this. No. You don't know who you really are, and so you don't see your true value, so you're going to pretend to be something that you're not to see if that will make you accepted. It really is that simple. But if you, if you and, and then we have the other side. We have the other side of the camp, and I love it. We have the other side that is, that is grace, and I'm, there's not a bigger grace preacher. There are, there are at least 30 to 40 people that are, are a part, have been a part of this church, that have gotten mad at me, offended at me, and left the church, and maybe come back or maybe never come back because I preach grace. Well, I'm sorry. It's amazing to me. It's still amazing. His grace still amazes me. It is still unmerited favor. It is still divine enabling. It is still, when he saw me in my lowest, he still saw me as favored. Because he knows our true identity. I told you before, he not only sees, he declares the end from the beginning. So, so if you go to someone and you approach them with what you think is grace and say, oh, it's fine, you can be a cat, go crawl over there and poop in the litter box in the classroom, but you don't give them truth, that's no better than giving them truth without grace. That's not grace, that's appeasement. Oh, I'm sorry. We don't have chandeliers to hang from. I know you really just want to run around and shout uh, Jopalapa and E-D-D-I-E and all the other stuff. But at some point, we're going to have to, we're going to, have to set some things straight. And, as, and we, we cannot be like this side of the aisle, and we can't be like that side of the aisle. We certainly can't be like any of the pundits on the news because they're all mean. It's all vitriolic. What we have to do is we have to exude kingdom culture. And the basis, the foundation, the, the baseline of kingdom culture is everything we must approach with grace and truth married it's the marriage of grace and truth how do you talk how do you talk to your wife do you approach you, you, you that maybe have a marital problems i don't know of anybody that i can think of and god don't let me think of them right now i'm not trying to pick on anybody i'm just i'm just throwing out some generalities you have a marital problem you that may or maybe in the past you've experienced those let me ask you a question are you approaching that relationship with your husband or wife in grace and truth because if you are, if you approach her, or if you approach him with grace and with truth, then you are, without even knowing about it, you're inviting the Holy Spirit to come in, and he will move and cause those things that be not, that could not be, to, he'll bring reconciliation. Can you approach him or her with grace and truth? In your relationships at work. Are you approaching those relationships? Man, I know this is pragmatic, but we need some practical stuff in the church today. It's okay. We'll scream and holler again next week. And I'm for that. I'm obviously for that. I was doing it earlier. But at some point, at some point, there's going to be a culture shift out there. It better start in here. If it don't start here, it ain't hitting it out there. Because it ain't going to come from the White House or the House of Representatives. It's going to come from your house and the church house. That's how the nations change. 
I just bind the Spirit over the nations and your home's going to hell and back. You, why don't you just worry about your house? You ain't ready to bind those spirit of the nations when you got mess in your own house that you ain't fixed or dealt with. Hmm. Lord, we're just going to get together. I bind the spirit of witchcraft over Africa. But you're the most manipulating person in the world. Are you going to bind the spirit of witchcraft over Africa? Here's some grace and here's some truth. Take care of what's at home first. Jesus, even when he sent his disciples out, he said, first in Jerusalem and then Samaria and then the uttermost parts of the earth. We're trying to go win the world. We don't have our own home together. Hello. Look back at me. Wave at me. I would tell you to blow kisses, but I think that's gross. Ain't nobody in this church but one I want to kiss, and she's right there. Grace and truth. Are you approaching things at work with grace and truth? Are you approaching your relationships with grace and truth? Can you look at the mirror with grace and truth? If I'm to be honest, I have to say that I can see these flaws. I'm not talking about physically. I can see that I've got these flaws. But can I give myself grace to grow through these, to admit I, this is some things about me need to change. For instance, I'll tell you something about me. None of you are going to believe this. Sometimes I'm short-fused. You're laughing either because you know me or you realize how ridiculous of a statement that was. I have six children. I ain't had a fuse in 13 and a half years at least. And sometimes I can be short-fused. It's so funny. I'll lose it on the kids or whatever. I mean, it, takes, it really does take a lot. They're like, I said get this done and do this and do that, blah, blah, blah. You know, you know I, I don't glow in the dark like a lot of preachers like to make you think they do. I don't glow in the dark. I'm human. I bleed just like you bleed, you know, and all, and all the stuff. And it, it's, it, without fail, most of the time, Elizabeth will be like, hey, you want to go get some coffee? Yeah, let's go get some coffee in the car. And she, she's so good at this with the grace and truth thing. Babe, I was just thinking, I understand where you're coming from with your frustration with the kids. But maybe if you talk to them in a different way, and maybe you said it like this and give me an example, that might work better. Most of the time I'm like, oh my God. Are you <laughs> and she knows me and she says, do me a favor. If you'll just take 30 minutes, sometimes she'll say five, just take 30 minutes and go think about it. I promise you. The way you're responding right now or reacting will become a response because we, we shouldn't be reactive. We should be responsive. If we respond versus react, then we're, then, then we're doing stuff that we intend to do that's good. If we react, most of the time, the, the first thing that we do is not always the best. If you'll just take five or ten minutes and just think about the way you're talking to me right now or think about the way you're talking to the children, I, I, think, I think you might see it differently. And most of the time I'm like, whatever, whatever. But then guess what? Oh, God, I hate it. She's right. I'll go and just, three, two, one. One, two, three. What the heck is bothering me? Wasn't that on Steve Urkel years ago? Is that the one that it was? Three, two, one. Say it with me. Three, two, one. One, two, three. What the heck is bothering me? Yeah. And without fail, within five or ten minutes, I'll come back. This happened, I'll just, I'll go ahead and tell on myself. I want, you to, I want you to love me and be like, man, that dude would just tell it. I was furious. I don't even remember what it was. It was about two weeks ago. And we're just going at, oh, I know what it was. I lost my marbles at a soccer match because the referee was an idiot. Idiot. <laughs> Zoom in on my face on the camera. You need a different job, sir. 
Some of you, I've coached your children, and you know how awful I can get at times. I'm a very competitive person. I do not wear it as a badge of honor, but I do, I do admit I'm very competitive. And if you can't do your, you're getting paid 50 bucks. If you can't, when the kid's getting tripped and punched and all that stuff, and you don't want to call a foul, you need a new job. If you need an oxygen machine after running five minutes to a 90-minute match, you probably are not in the right industry, sir. And I say stuff like that. It was my first time back from Istanbul. I'd been away. And whenever I'm away, it gives me a lot of time alone with the Father, and I feel it's just so close. <laughs> Truly. In mission trip, I come back, and I'm just so, it's just like me and Jesus are walking like this. And the Holy Spirit's rubbing my head and my face as, and just blowing on me as I walk. Father's got the biggest smile. I show up at the soccer match. Would you call the foul, you idiot? What are you doing? And Elizabeth's like, oh, my God, would you just stop? She's, she'll start with this. She'll take her knee and smack my knee with her knee like, shut up. What you doing? What are you doing? She's so, she's so good at it. And then he got so bad, the coach turned around and said, Josh, like that. And I said, you don't call me down, don't you? I'm a man. I'm older than you. You're not going to talk to me like that. Lost my stuff. I would look like an idiot. And Elizabeth knew it. And she's just like this, I cannot believe it. I'm like, well, my boys are out there in the field. They're tripping them. They're falling. David comes home with a new strawberry every game, and they ever call a foul. Let David breathe on the guy slightly, just a little bit, and suddenly it's a yellow card. I'm like, what are you doing? She approached me with grace and truth. So we get home, and I mean, I'm like, no, I don't want somebody to yell at me. The guy doesn't deserve to have his job. They shouldn't pay him. In fact, I'm going to write a letter to the editor. I'm reporting the referee. I hope to God he never gets another job. This is how better because you can identify with me. You're laughing because you did the same thing, and you know you did the same thing, didn't you, at some point? You do? You do too? Anyways, so we were, and then finally, finally, finally. And I always get to a finally. I'm like, yeah, you're right. I'm breathing. I'm like, I'm thinking back through it like, like there's legitimate reason for me to be upset. I could have handled this better. I should have been more Christ-like. God, I'm glad nobody from the church was here. And then I remember, and then I remember, there's a camera up there that's filming everything. You know, I didn't cuss the guy. I wasn't like that, but I, I, was, I was irate. In, in fact, I wasn't the only one. There were hundreds of us. Not really hundreds. There weren't hundreds at any soccer match. Only hundreds you were ever going to find at West Ireland was football. They lose all the time, but they'll be there. They did win Thursday, the JV, for the first time in four years. They're not known for winning, but the culture's changing. Amen. Culture, say grace and truth, right, right. Well, they got, they got Xavier, they got some members here. God bless them and, and keep them and uh, blessed art thou, West Iredale. Anyways, about 15 minutes later, I walk into, I, I go outside and I'm on the phone or whatever I was doing, just walk around my driveway, looking at the stars like, you still love me and you know what kind of a knucklehead I can be. I, th- I talk to God like that and I walk in and Elizabeth said, she said, what'd you do? I said, I called your mom and told her I'm sorry for the way I acted. Trish said, I didn't have any problem with it. <laughs> it's awesome. I loved it. Yeah. Yeah, she's competitive like me. Let's go. But I said, no, no, really. I, should, I shouldn't have berated the referee. I, no matter how poor of a job he did, you know, I just, if my sons weren't playing, maybe it would be different. I, there was a year, probably about 10 years ago, that, I, that I, the Lord actually told me, you're going to stop watching the Carolina Panthers. One, because they can't win to save their lives. And two, you keep getting upset like it's a f- new phenomenon. And I did. I stopped watching for like a year and a half. I don't care much for them anymore. It's not like they're going to win or anything. So um, I walked into the house and uh, went over behind Elizabeth. And she's cooking or whatever she's doing, getting food ready. And I just kind of kissed her on the neck. Yeah, well, what have you been doing? I said, I called your mom to call. She said, wouldn't it be nice if you didn't have to make those phone calls? 
Mm. Uh. Oh, man. Oh. I said, yes, ma'am, it would. I thought she was going to be like, oh, darling Joshua, you're so perfect. You apologize to my mom. I just adore you. No, she said, wouldn't it be nice if you don't ever have to make the phone calls? (laughs) That was literally the perfect example of grace and truth. And that is a pragmatic, practical way. I can preach about grace and truth and we leave it in the sky. Jesus is this, Jesus is that. But this is a pragmatic way. That is how you approach something with grace and truth. Can you look at a mirror? I'm finishing up in the morning. Scott, you want to play something for me? I don't know if it helps or not, but sometimes it sort of seems to pull the attention in. And look in a mirror and say, the truth is, you know what you've done. The truth is, you know your faults. The truth is, you acted like an idiot at that soccer match. But there's grace for you. You're growing. You're a human being. You're not a human doing. You're a human being. And your nature is kind. I I really am a kind person. I promise you I'm a kind person. I'm a nice person. In fact, I think Elizabeth even said to me, about 97% of the time you got it together. (laughs) Wasn't it 97? Is that what you said? Huh? 97.8, that's what it was. I'm like, I, I'm like, gosh, because then I just felt awful. I'm like, I just feel so bad. This, it's really not the way that I respond. It's not the way that I, it's only, it's only playing PlayStation, which I haven't done in years. You know how many PlayStation controllers 10, 15 years ago I bought for my kids because I broke them? <laughs> Carl Malone can't shoot threes. Bam. And <laughs> awful. And my kids are like, what possessed my daddy? Weren't you the guy preaching this morning? I've done it. It's true. It's true. Outside of PlayStation and outside of sports, I'm pretty much good. I'm I'm pretty. If you threaten my children, but that's different. I'm not apologizing for that. You're gonna get what's coming to you. But outside of that, I'm, I I do. I, I try. And she said, "Yeah, about 97." Well, she said first 90 percent. I said 90. She said 97, 97.8. But man, those, you know what we do though? You know what we do? If we're truthful, we're going to beat ourselves half the death for the 2.3% that we don't have it together. But if we give ourselves grace, not an excuse, I'm not excusing my, if we give ourselves grace and say, there's a better way to do this. So it's funny. They had another soccer match at, um, was it St. Stephen's? No. Fred T. Ford. I said, I asked, I forgot, he's Freddy Ford, he remembers. I, I got to show up, the parents are there, and I said, he said, man, how you doing? You jacked up, you ready for the game? You know, they're ready for me to get on the referees for him. <laughs> I said, God, this is awful. I said, no. I said, that's really not my character. I said, I was, I was overboard. I don't like those officials, but at bottom line, you know, I'm just going to, and I even I text the coaches. I said, look, love you guys. We support them. We paid for your uniform or for the stuff. You know, I'm just going to support my boys. I'm encouraging David. I'm encouraging Isaac. And that's what I, and they're like, uh, one, of the, one of the dads said, mm-hmm, okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> but I did. I did. I just, I, I, I was more like my normal self. You know, because I had purpose. I just want to be encouraging. Look, I'm a coach. I've been coaching 26 years now. I love kids, and I know what, what it can do to a child if a, if a parent or a coach loses their stuff. You know, you're teaching them. Whether you know you're teaching or not, you're teaching them something. Because I asked Isaac, I said, did that make you feel embarrassed? The best, Isaac said, well, I mean, it certainly didn't help us get any calls. <laughs> David said, man, I loved it. That referee was an idiot. <laughs> but David was getting fouled left and right, you know. I'm sorry. I don't mean to, I don't mean to ram and waste your time with my personal stuff, I just try to. I try to help us to see if we're going to create a culture in our church, in our homes, in our communities of grace and truth, you got to start with yourself. And the truth of it is, I still have flaws. 
The truth of it is I still mess up. The truth of it is I probably will have more flaws and I probably will mess up down the road. But if you give yourself grace and say you're not a human doing, or you're a human being, that you're still the Son of God, that you're still called according to His purpose, that you still love Him, you can make these things right. You're not dead. And the, and the most powerful thing about everybody that's here today is you woke up this morning. If you woke up, you still have purpose. You're here for, for a reason. So, so, next soccer match I did, I did better. I'm praying to God I have grace for tomorrow. You know, because really I just want to be truthful. You know, you missed that call. I just, I didn't, I didn't get really where I wanted to go with this in, in terms of all the, because I always do about eight or nine pages of notes. In fact, there are about 25 of you that I send my notes to every Sunday morning. If you want them, if you give me an email address, I'll send it to you. You can have the outline. It, it's, 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 it's a lot better and stays on topic a lot more than I do when I get down here talking. If we're going to expect the culture out there to change, and God knows we need it. God knows we need it. If you don't see it, you're, you're, you're either willfully negligent or you're just blind. And you, you, can't, you can't not see it. The culture is in a tailspin, and it ain't going towards God. At least they don't think it is. And we can't expect a Savior to come out of the White House or to come out of any other place or any other governmental office except the government of God. It's going to have to come from Jesus. It's going to have to come from the Holy Spirit working through His church. We are the ecclesia. The ecclesia. What is that? The church. The ruling class. God put us in the earth to transform and shift cultures until the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ. But if we can't do it at home, if we can't do it at soccer matches, we can forget about binding the demon over the cities. You want statesful to become synonymous with the glory? What about your home? Is it synonymous with the glory? When people come to your house, do they experience the presence of God just by pulling on your property? Because if not, stop praying about that happening down on Front Street in Statesville and start praying. When people pull on my driveway, let them feel the anointing of Jesus Christ. Let them feel loved and let them feel accepted. Help me to approach my conversation and, and, and even my demeanor with grace and with truth. And when you start that, and then this family starts it, and that family, it's, it's, like a, it's, like a, it's like a match. And there's a stick here that's on fire and one there. But after a while, when you've got one here and one there and one there and one there and one there, then the whole city can be lit up. But you're not going to light the city up if you're not approaching everything that you do with grace and truth. Amen? Amen? Let's all stand. Let's all stand. See, that was simple. That would sound better if you turned it up on that board back there, Isaac. Just a thought. I was going to read, just tell you this truth in the Bible. Okay, that's fine. I'll leave it. Grace and truth. The culture of the kingdom. When Jesus gave his Sermon on the Mount, which is the constitution of the new covenant, he approached everyone with grace and truth. Father, from this day forward, we are going to purpose to approach our relationships with each other, our relationships in our family, our relationships at work with the compass of grace and truth. We know that you've empowered us by your spirit and because we're empowered by the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, the same spirit that quickened the dead body of Jesus, the same spirit that anointed Jesus, that, that dwelt in him bodily. Because we have that spirit, we can walk and live and move and have our being with grace and truth. I'm asking you for that, Lord.
I'm asking you for individual lives, Lord, that look in the mirror and don't like what they see. Not just physically, but don't like what they see about themselves. That you would open their eyes to see that they are your true children. That they would hear your voice defining who they are. That they would see themselves, as it were, with God goggles. That they would be able to put on your perspective and see you see us as divine. You see us as favorable. You see us as loved. And as we begin to understand and have grace and truth for ourselves, then we can apply it to those that are close to us and even those that are far removed from us. I believe that's what it takes, Lord, for there to be a cultural shift. I still believe what you told me, that Statesville would become synonymous with the glory. But it only will happen in so much that our homes become synonymous with the glory. So I pray, Lord, not that our homes become glorious and sanctified because of the Spirit on the city, but that the Spirit on the city becomes glorious and sanctified because of what happens in our homes. I pray for that, Lord. I believe for you for that. I bless everyone that's here, Lord. Thank you for giving them patience to bear with me and let me fumble through this word. But I believe that there's truth in it. I believe there's goodness in it. And I believe that it will bring life, Lord, if we apply it. Thank you for this week. I thank you for the conference that's coming up here just in under two weeks. Thank you for those that will be traveling to meet with us. I pray that you give them traveling mercies. But more than that, that this would not be an event for encounter, but this would be an event, Lord, for, for habitation. That we would not just meet with you, but that we would bring the spirit of God, the spirit of worship. That we would join together and we would shake this city. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. I don't mean to be ignoring you right after church. I don't have time to talk. I've got two and a half hours to be in West Virginia at 2 o'clock. Mom's got.